Welcome to Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Minute 37 begins with Michael still standing by the tree watching Annie arrive at the Wallace's house. But allow a quick insert before we get to Minute 37. I was at Sugarman Gallery in South Pasadena again this past Saturday night. First, a bit from when I tested if I could record in the backyard there. Uh, turns out I was too close to the DJ still and was a little out of breath from walking back and forth to the car and looking for a place to, you know, try this. And was barely talking over the music and the train. Anyway, well, here, have a listen. I don't know how good this audio is. It's recording. So there's that. Um, I'm in the backyard of Sugarman Gallery. Recording a little early. Uh, just because I might not be up to it later. But I'm going to be busy tomorrow. It is Saturday the 6th. I'm going to try to insert this in a minute 37, some Monday's episode. Uh, came back to the gallery because they are doing an official screening of Halloween tonight. And Kenny Caperton, who I talked to, talked about uh, a while back, you know, Myers House, North Carolina, um, is here. So I got to talk to him a little bit. I'm going to talk to him about maybe being a guest for a longer interview sometime. Kim Gottlieb Walker is here again, which is cool. There's a few new art pieces and... I don't know what else to talk about right now. they got music going, obviously. You can hear that. train's about to go by, so you can hear that. Uh, so anyway, I am recording right now in sight of the Myers house. In fact, in sight of the corner window to Judith Myers' room. So, some people, that that's awesome. Anyway, I'll record again in a bit. Sorry if the sound qualities don't match. Had it been possible to record more clearly, I might have had a nice talk with photographer Kim Gottlieb Walker, who was there again, and offered. I will still try to get back with her and arrange a time in the future that she could be a guest, because she's very nice. She wasn't the only person of interest there tonight. I met a guy, I don't know if I should say his name, and I definitely shouldn't spoil the possible title of his book, but he has been interviewing folks involved with the first three films for a book that just might be out next year. I will definitely have to buy it when it does and get him on the show. I also talked a whole lot, and not just about Halloween, with Kenny Caperton, who I talked about back in Minute 5. He built his own Myers house in Hillsborough, North Carolina. I want to have him as a guest sometime soon, so I won't try to recall all of the Myers house-related stuff we talked about tonight. There was talk of transom windows and balusters and bathrooms and kitchens. I also talked a lot, and I warned him that I will want him as a guest in a couple years, assuming this thing continues that long, with Eric Preston, who played young Michael in Halloween 4. And he was really nice. <laughs> Like we were talking before the screening and after about lots of different things, not just Halloween, but actually about Halloween 3. Had a whole discussion about the merits of that film. And then we talked about the Sandlot and Disneyland and theme parks. Me and Candy and Eric, it was interesting, slightly surreal. I also talked to Marcel Sonko again, uh, DJ Sonko on Instagram. He was running the music in that clip before, and he's pretty cool. Through the beginning of the screening of the original Halloween in the Backyard, there was some other music too, which was funny. A uh, restaurant nearby with the mariachi band. As is so wonderfully often the case, I noticed some things while watching the film. They don't relate to Minute 37, but I just want to get them on the record. Red briefcase in Minute 6, in Michael's bedroom, a record player. 
The Strode Realty sign on the car definitely has no phone number, but Kim Gottlieb's photo, which I saw last time at Sugar Man a few weeks ago, but I hadn't had the chance to fit into the show, confirmed, and I did see it, albeit blurry on the screen, the Strode Realty sign on the Myers House front yard does have a phone number, 555-3679. The Wallaces do have a garage. Now, Annie only just arrived at the Wallaces last minute minute 36 so i haven't had the chance to get to my notes and my madness in regards to the wallace property its shape and its contents but i also indirectly confirmed that the shed interior at least was cool lesby's house which jamie lee curtis says in the commentary and the exterior may just have been in the backyard of the 1542 house the wallace interiors but that actually will make that madness bit coming in minute 53 even weirder for me we'll see i haven't recorded 53 yet annie picks up the cornstarch twice but i'll get to that minute 44 Linda drops a beer can on the floor of the Wallace living room as she and Bob start to make out on the couch in minute 61. I'm pretty sure this is what PJ Souls trips on in minute 62. People usually say it's the Dolly track, but I'll get to that in minute 62. And there will be a lot of talk in upcoming minutes about how the interiors and exteriors of the Wallace house and Doyle house don't often match as they should. I noticed a new bit for that tonight, the window where Lori breaks the flower pot and Tommy looks out. That window is not attached to the room where Tommy is, but I will get to that in minute 80. If you're around Los Angeles, go to Sugarman to see some great art, a lot of Kim Gottlieb's photos, and maybe a movie. Now, where was I? Minute 37 begins with Michael still standing by the tree watching Annie arrive at the Wallace's house. Mrs. Wallace, be in bed by nine, honey, okay? Have a good night, dear. Mr. Wallace, be a good girl. Annie, bye-bye. The Wallaces step out of their house and walk to the carport. Script says garage, but they don't have one, at least that we can see. Annie and Lindsay Wallace, a scripted as a pretty little nine-year-old, stand in the doorway. Seconds 8 through 10, Annie leans over to talk to Lindsay, still in the doorway. She might be making demands, but it seems nice. Almost cute. As they go inside, you can just make out dialogue. Annie, no Paul, just you and me. Which, <laughs> I guess Lindsay knew there might be plans for Paul to come by. Maybe it's happened many times before. Annie closes the door, and... From the script, the shape moves to see inside a window of the Wallace house. Inside, we see Annie turn on the TV. She goes to a mirror on the wall and begins to brush her hair. In the novelization, Michael watches Annie admiringly. The dark-haired girl had big breasts that jutted out even with her arms stretched overhead. Her brushing her hair might have reminded him of Judy, had it been left in. Also from the novelization, quote, He returned to the main house and watched some more. The sex between his legs throbbed in an unpleasant way. The voice was whispering something to him that he couldn't make out yet, but he knew that if he waited, it would get louder. In his belt were the carving knife and rope he had taken from the store in town. End quote. Clearly, Curtis Richards subscribes to the common theory that Michael robbed a hardware store and the whole psychosexual fury stuff you get from Carol Clover. Cut to Exterior, Myers House, Night. In the novelization, we get a little more of the transition from Loomis meeting Brackett to them going to the Myers house, which practically was only half a block from that hardware store, so it really shouldn't have taken that long to get there. While Loomis waits for Brackett to speak to him, he wanders around nearby looking at the local shops. From the novelization, Loomis killed the ten minutes with a stroll down Main Street looking indifferently into windows of stores and shops that were interchangeable with those of any town this size in the Midwest. There were a few signs of changing times, such as an organic health food shop, a bookstore with a surprisingly intellectual selection of titles in the window, and a coffee shop specializing in espresso, cappuccino, and herb teas. A far cry from the usual Midwest coffee shop, purveying the kind of diner fare that truck drivers thrived on. 
but at least there was no head shop, as one commonly saw in bigger Midwestern towns and cities. No shop selling cigarette papers, pipes, coke spoons, and the more exotic paraphernalia of the dope trade. The Loomis knew that kids used drugs in these towns. The town governments came down very hard on any overt display of drug cultures. As Loomis passed a liquor store, he nodded, remembering his teenage son's recent tirade about the hypocrisy of Loomis's generation that punishes drug use, but proudly displays its alcoholic orientation as if drinking were a virtue to be encouraged. The boy was right, but it would be another decade before you saw a head shop in Haddonfield, Illinois. End quote. <laughs> I don't have anything in my notes on this, but reading it now, I'm out loud, I realize, why is this in the book? <laughs> Some passing thing about drugs and alcohol, like Curtis Richards had some weird thing that he just wanted to get out of his head, so he put it in the novelization of Halloween. Anyway, it's cold, and maybe Loomis wants privacy, so they sit in Brackett's car after Brackett comes back. Loomis suspects Michael for the robbery. Brackett assumes it was kids. From the novelization, quote, You got any better ideas? I might. Do you remember the Judith Myers case? Brackett's gaze narrowed to a suspicious stare. Of course I do. There was a silence as Loomis ran his fingers with a scratchy noise through his goatee. Brackett waited impatiently, studying this man whose intrusion into his life had brought with it intimations of grisly horror, a horror made more dreadful because it had happened in this idyllic setting. Over the police channel, staticky squawks proclaimed petty vandalism occurring throughout the area. Intruders reported on Carter Road around the Gleason farm. Windows broken by four persons in masks, believed children. Carty House at Post Road near Deller. Three trespassers reported writing on doors with spray paint. End quote. Later, as they talk, another report comes over the radio. Fire reported in meadow behind Kochner Farm, routes 167A off Market Road. Loomis asks Brackett to take him to the Myers house. I was going to ask in this minute why Loomis bothers going there, but I suppose he needs a starting point if he is going to search for Michael. He only has a couple places to hit for sure, the cemetery and the house. It is worth mentioning here that one of the things that Carpenter had in mind while writing this movie was a supposed haunted house in his hometown of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Additionally, since I don't think I mentioned in Minute 8 when we saw young Michael in his room at Smith's Grove and that added for television scene, it was while Carpenter was a student at Western Kentucky University that he went on a class trip to a mental institution and saw a kid that would inspire the silent version of Michael in the sanitarium. In the novelization, while they are talking, Brackett mentions Michael's great-grandfather, who shot a couple to death at a dance and was hanged for it. Ron Barstow, who was sheriff at the time, 1898-1899, told Brackett about the incident. Loomis asks about whether the man heard voices. He knows about the voices in Michael's head. Novelization Michael has definitely not remained silent. From the novelization, voices. Voices? Kill those two specifically. In other words, he didn't fire into a crowd at random. He knew the victims? Brackett scratched his ear. I'm a little confused about that part. The way Ron explained it, the guy claimed he knew who he was shooting, but when they asked him to identify his victims, he called them some weird names he said he'd heard in his dreams. Brackett pointed to his own skull and made a rotary motion with his finger. Crazy. Perhaps. These names, Sheriff, were they Celtic? Would you recognize them? Deirdre? Kulain? Sorry, my friend, they don't ring a bell. Who are they? Names of victims in Michael's dreams. We could establish a continuity from the great-grandfather to the boy, the psychiatrist mused. A continuity? Brackett gasped. Come on, Loomis. In order for a dream to jump two or three generations, you'd have to believe. He shook his head. Doctor, I think you may be touched yourself. Probably. It's an occupational hazard. End quote. Second 16, we cut to the Myers house, and Brackett's car arrives. 
Loomis, does anybody live here? Bracket, no, not since 1963, when it happened. Every kid in Haddonfield thinks this place is haunted. Loomis, they may be right. From the script. Angle, downside of the house. Looking down the side of the house, we see Loomis and Bracket walk up to the front porch. A broken, rusted ring gutter clangs back and forth against the house in the wind. Now, this part of the script's weird, because if we're looking down the side of the house, that angle suggests that maybe Michael is there watching this happen. I'm not sure. Because nothing comes of it. But it also does set up the rain gutter a little early. We've seen the rain gutter if we're looking at the house, but it's fairly still. Second 43, interior Myers house, night. From the script, the front door slowly opens. Bracket and Loomis stand in the doorway. They glance at each other. The script says Bracket draws his gun and the two men step inside. It is totally dark in the house. Bracket's flashlight comes on, illuminating the two men. As they move through the house, camera tracks with them. Bracket points his flashlight into the living room, up the stairs, then into the room opposite the living room. Loomis looks into the living room, then starts up the stairs. Suddenly, Bracket stops. He trains his flashlight on a small object in the corner of the room. Bracket, look. Loomis, what? What is that? And the minute ends. That is all for Minute 37. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk me on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute, or join the Facebook listeners group 45 Lampkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a nice review if you like what you hear. Until next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh?